Hello and welcome to Critique and Creeps. I am your host, Danielle, and this is a podcast where I bully my friends, mostly Amy Quinn, into watching horror movies with me so we can discuss them. And uh, looks like today, Amy Quinn, my guest of four times in a row and probably now just going to be our mostly hostly second host. <laughs> howdy, howdy, y'all. Are discussing Near Dark. Yes. This is our technically our first woman-directed film. Finally. I know. Only took four movies, which I think is still pretty good <laughs> considering the rest of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, like it, if if you look at it from like all movies, unfortunately, there is a significant bias in who gets to direct. Yeah. And uh, this is um, Catherine Bigelow. Um, yes. I believe she is the first woman to win an Oscar. And this is her first solo directed film. Nice. Which... We can kind of also, like, it's interesting the history of it. I don't know how much you looked into it. I looked into it a little bit. My understanding is it's 80s, so you have your normal 80s sexism. And yep. I know for a fact she was told by the producer if she couldn't do it, she'd be they'd find someone else in five days to do it for her. <laughs> Fucked up. And she, I think you noticed she basically kind of had the cast from Aliens. Yep. That's because uh, she was dating James Cameron at the time. Yes, so I, <laughs> I do believe she did talk with him, and like, yeah, he basically suggested like, like a good ensemble right here. Just use them. Yeah, and he's actually in the film. Oh yeah, I I know he has a cameo at one point. Like he's he's a hitchhiker a that flips or something. Him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a guy who flips people off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she'd started out wanting to make, like, a more traditional Western story. Oh, yeah. But, like, basically it was like, oh, Westerns aren't profitable at the time. So she's like, I'm going to put a spin on this, like, add some, like, supernatural elements, some vampires. So do you know who uh, co-wrote this movie with her? Oh, God, I'm blanking on the name. It is Eric Red, I think it is. Or oh yeah. yes, Eric. Yep, Eric Red. And do you know Eric Red wrote and directed my favorite werewolf movie of all time? Oh, nice. Full Moon. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, give me that German Shepherd versus werewolf energy in the nineties. That's oh, my that's jam. <laughs> the uh, soundtrack was uh, Tangerine Dream. Yes, they did a lot of like movie scores in the 80s i believe ah i i love it like i know they did legend i think they actually did risky business too yeah they did a lot i believe they did risky business yep um i have a list because i was going through it because i like their soundtracks in general oh yeah absolutely this is just like absolute just you know cheesy 80s synths like it's just very good very mood setting for the type of film that this is as well. And I think we can hear my girlfriend scold the dog. <laughs> so Oh no. Sorry about that. <laughs> the beasts of the earth have turned against you. Yeah, well, they know they know when I'm recording and all of a sudden the dog and the cat just want to get in the way. <laughs> they want the limelight. I know. But I'm um, looking up what else they did. Um, apparently they did like a Grand Theft Auto soundtrack too. <laughs> Catch Me If You Can, Firestarter, which is another one I need to get around to watch. Oh, yeah, that's the Stephen King one, right? Yeah, Baby yeah. Drew Barrymore, first movie. <laughs> Fantastic. 
and I believe they're German. Yes, they were. They were a German group. Hey, they're still making music. Uh, they did a Stranger Things theme song cover a few um, years ago <laughs> that came out. That I really, really liked actually. Oh yeah, no, it's is it's like Stranger Things is just borrowing whole chunks of like the era of movie making and culture that they were a part of. So like, hey, they get to do it too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Both ways. Exactly. You already covered the part I was going to cover about it being like a Western and it's definitely yep. shot like a Western. Oh, yeah. No, like it's. This is a very America's heartland Midwestern, like big rolling fields, 10 gallon hats everywhere. Like yeah, there is like this this whole like very broad archetypal idea of like Americana, but it is also like run down in a way like a lot of the space in this movie is small rundown towns abandoned industrial areas so it is like you have the contrasts of these two ideas of what the american midwest is like what people want to treat it as and like a lot of the harsher realities of it well they did actually shoot it during a drought Yes. And I'm uh, looking at my notes. It was uh, shot over 47 days and yes. 40 of those were at night. So it's definitely a lot of the, uh, the emptiness comes from the fact it is an empty area. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Even though it is a very beautiful looking film, I would say yeah. it definitely has it. Even though it is shot in the 80s, I will say it has more of a 70s pacing. It's very slow to start out in an interesting sort of way. Like the opening 10 or 20 minutes of this film honestly feels more like closer to like a Nicholas Sparks romantic movie <laughs> than it does a horror movie. I definitely, for me, I definitely pick up kind of the Western-y kind of like, let's introduce this element that we normally get in a lot of Westerns where you have our, our main like cowboy guy kind of meet um, a love interest, but in instead of it being like, oh, then I go into the plot, she brings the plot with her. No, ex exactly. Like this, this guy's coming up and like, you know, like talking sweet on a girl in a not at all predatory 80s sexist dude way. Like, I'm I'm just a good old folksy boy. Why don't I take you on a ride home? Like, and he does not understand that he is about to be pulled into a vampire movie. Yeah, it, it's actually kind of interesting, too, because that's literally the plot I was going to read off of IMDb is Midwestern farm boy reluctantly becomes a member of undead gang of vampires. One girl he meets turns out to be part of that gang and they roam the highways in stolen cars. <laughs> it's like it's very simple when you describe it. Yeah, no, it's it's it, it is a very simple plot. Like you can boil that elevator pitch down like that simply but like a lot of what it does it gets through with mood and stylism and also just the performances of the cast oh you can tell they're having a ball with it, it, it it's just whole swaths of the movie are just the b cast of aliens doing stylish vampire murders and having a blast with it <laughs> our protagonist should have noticed something was weird when the moment the girl that was like he just met would get in a car with him <laughs> <laughs> it was a simpler time back then. Yeah, the 80s. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. But yeah, no, it's a, it's very simple. Like, he just goes down, downtown, hang out with his boys, meets a cute chick. 
takes her home to his farm. The horse don't like her. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it, it, we get these. Gr- it's just great, subtle, like just slowly building that there is something up with this girl beyond your usual manic pixie dream girl tropes. Like <laughs> it kind of slowly like the plot finally picks up when it's actually kind of weird. The level of consent that goes on when she bites him. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Like in the beginning of this movie, like the men kind of leering at this woman is portrayed very predatory. There's a lot of language that they use. Mm-hmm. Um, hold on. Let me get my. Your notes, your handy dandy yes. notes. Oh, yeah. No, like they say, like, what the hell is eating you? Turn around and feast your eyes. So, like he goes <laughs> up to her and like asks, can I have a bite of your ice cream cone? And so like essentially like the moment where he does cross a line in terms of consent, that is the moment where like the predatory nature switches and he gets he gets his ass bit. Yeah, because like basically uh, they're in a car together. And she wants to get home before it gets light out because she's a vampire and he don't know. Yeah. Yeah, He basically stops the car in like the road and is like, I'm not going anywhere till you kiss me. The nicest thing I can say is like he is he is misunderstanding the situation. Like he's like, oh, your daddy's going to be angry at you, isn't he? (laughs) Like, so he is trying to be playful Again, in a Nicholas Sparks sort of way, like playfully romantic, but in a very controlling way, like it reads definitely a lot. I don't think there was ever an era where this would read as good, but it definitely reads a lot worse in 2021. Yeah, but he instantly faces the consequences for those. Exactly. And I don't think it's not on on purpose, if I'm wording that right. Like, no, like there is, I feel like a sort of a feminist reading we're supposed to take here away from this. Like it is very much like a subversion in a lot of ways, both of like the expected romantic tropes and also who the expected victim of a vampire would be in this sort of movie. The cute, innocent looking blonde girl is the one who bites the the predatory dude. And then she kind of just books it out of his car. (laughs) Yeah. Valid though. Like ladies, you know, if he pulls this shit on you, you're always welcome to bite him and run. <laughs> because of that, because she didn't kill him when she bit him, that kind of starts the, like, the rest of the plot um, yes. snowballing because he is slowly turning into a vampire. They keep the lore, like I, I'd say very smartly, kind of vague in this movie. If you bite someone and don't kill them, like they will turn. That's something I do want to actually get around to talking about um, a little bit later once we get into the vampires themselves. Of course. Which um, happens with, like, the RV when he kind of gets picked up later on because he doesn't feel too well. Yeah, no, we get, like, all these scenes of him just stumbling around, like, smoke is rising off of him, like, in a field. And I did actually read a great thing uh, behind the scenes about how they did the special effects for that shot. Ooh, do tell. Apparently, when like there's like fog and smoke coming off him, there's tubes rigged up under him leading to five lit cigars <laughs> under his shirt. And that's how they did that shot. That's kind of great. He probably stank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, so much. Everyone in this movie would have stunk. There's a lot of smoking going on. Oh, I know. 
And there's a lot of people covered in dirt. It was not like just, a very, it's a very dusty cast. <laughs> yeah, no, just dirt, dirt and soot, fake blood. But it, it's beautiful looking. I think Lance Hendrickson and uh, Bill Paxton, like, they would just go around town covered in all their makeup and just essentially prank people, is what I understand. Yeah, I was reading a little tidbit where apparently they, like, freaked out a cop to the so bad they didn't give him a ticket even though they were speeding. <laughs> yes like just <laughs> just pull, pulls them over just these guys covered in like what he doesn't know is fake gore and you know you know you know, you know what like good on them fuck 12 so uh, yeah we that's when we meet our vampire crew yes no like i i love i love their like they go through like a whole bunch of vehicles in this movie like they just essentially like just steal vehicles whenever they need a good one to like stay ahead of the authorities i love just the rv that they like just drive through a field and scoop them up which is just all like covered in like spray paint and tinfoil to like keep to like keep the sun out yeah no it's definitely i definitely can see influences in later works of art based off of this like for example uh buffy the vampire slayer just straight up entirely ripped it off for an episode in like season five Oh, and that's they didn't just do it for five. They did it was basically anytime Spike was driving during the daytime. Yeah, no, like just the RV, and like he's specifically <laughs> wearing oh, the yeah, near yeah. dark goggles in that episode. No, you were right, and that was not even an episode. That was like the lead up to the season finale. That was like yes. a full on multiple episode plot arc. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's really where we get to meet the rest of a vampire crew because you have like. May, which is our hitchhiker who turns on. Yeah. You have the boss man, which is Lance Henderson. Yes, he's uh, Jesse. Yes, and you have the the old vampire young kid body trope played by... Um, yep. I know this is called Homer. I can't remember the name of the actor. He was played by uh, Joshua John Miller. All right. And then the, the kind of the, the star vampire, the one, the only, the Bill Paxton as Severin. <laughs> oh, he is. Bill Paxton is so gender in this movie. Bloody clothes, f- jacket and flannel, sunglasses, just hefting a shotgun. Like, oh, I don't care what gender. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't care what gender presentation you're aspiring to. There's some part of that that has to be goals. <laughs> Honestly, he's the best part about this movie. Oh, he, he, he is just so entertaining and he is having so much goddamn fun with it he's like the sociopath murder one (laughs) and i just want to know how the hell did any of these vampires last this long doing this shit this is none of this is sustainable i don't understand how like you have the lance henderson i can't say his word vampire doing this since the civil war jesse the lance Hendrickson vampire he did fight for the confederacy well he's the bad guy Yes, like, it's also, this is a trope in, like, both westerns and vampire films. I can name, like, two vampire films or media that have a protagonist character that was part of the Confederacy. Yeah, like, uh, like off the top of my head, like, Twilight, one of the vampires there was a Confederate, uh, like, does not examine the implications of that at all. Yeah, at least with True Blood, they, I think they do examine it a bit, but yeah, not true- as much as they really should have, considering he was their main love interest. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, I think the Vampire Diaries had Confederate vampires, too, but that's because it's CW True Blood. Oh, I honestly, I have no idea. I've never watched Vampire Diaries. It's, <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it, it, like... <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen either. The only thing I've seen is a bit of True Blood. That's a lie. I, I, I yeah. binged it all during quarantine. In vampire movies, it's like, oh, you know, we had the vampire who was bored and just picked a side. And then in cowboy movies we have the morally complex protagonist who fought for the losing side in the wool the firefly (laughs) no yeah like exactly like (laughs) you fought on the losing side of the war and we're not going to deeply examine the moral implications of that at least with this one, I kind of like that they're just straight up fucking evil sociopath vampires yeah no it is not admirable that this guy fought for the south like I said this movie has slower pacing, so like a lot of the plot stuff kind of blends for me. There, there's a long, there's like a lot of periods of like stuff, stuff just sort of unfolding slowly. A lot of the first half of this is is Adrian Pascar as Caleb just wandering around, doubled over in pain and just so sweaty, so dripping. Yeah, like I remember, like I think after like somehow he gets let out of the RV and tries to get a bus ticket home. Yeah, there are there are definitely some interesting things I I feel about like that whole sequence. So he he goes to like he goes to the bus stop and he is he's like I I need to, a ticket to what was it? Fix Oklahoma is I think what it's called. It's I don't think a real town. I think like, was it Oklahoma or was it Texas? Uh no, it's it's or because I know like some part of this movie does take place in Texas. I know the family goes to Texas looking for him. It's Oklahoma. Sorry. Yeah. So his his home is in Oklahoma and the guy is just like, where the hell is that? And he has to be like, oh, like the nearest city is Lawton. Like his his hometown is just so nowhere. And I know he's like three dollars short, too. Yeah. Like he's like a couple dollars short for the bus ticket. And like the guy just tells him to fuck off. And like he's just kind of loitering around just looking obviously in distress like he tries to get a candy bar out of a vending machine and like it tastes like shit to him now because he needs to drink blood which is kind of like most of the plot of the movie is the other vampires trying to get him to murder somebody yes like he has to prove himself to the rest of the gang because like they didn't plan to like add another person to their group he has to prove their worth or they'll just fucking off him which makes sense considering how he literally fucks up all of their shit (laughs) yep constantly all the time like i think the only reason they don't murder him is because like their their youngest vampire is like the one that he picks up has like a weird crush on him yeah no she she's she's like he followed me home can we keep him essentially yeah he's a puppy I want yeah, him. he is just a he is just a dumb idiot golden retriever of a man. <laughs> we have all this going on. And I also know, like, you also have his family trying to find him. Yeah, like his dad, who is like a veterinarian and and like her, like he has a little sister who is like very 80s smart aleck kid sister kind of character. They don't really do much on screen. They're just kind of like there to show up at the yeah. end. We check in on them a couple of times, but it's mostly just sort of like to remind you that like this little spinning plate of the plot is still going mm-hmm. until it becomes important later on. Because I think we are more interested in like the 
I know like there's an end of the movie, but the only thing that I can like always think about when I think about this movie is the bar scene. Uh, the bar scene is just absolutely iconic. Because they basically take over a dive bar and just start messing with everybody there and slowly murder them one by one. Yeah, no, it it, it is just we are going to show off just everyone in the cast is going to get their own little moment to be a cool badass. Uh, like the construction of the scene is so good, like the jukebox is like still going in the corner for the entire scene and like each time the music changes, it is a shift to a, like a diff- another phase of this whole scene. And it's also where we kind of learn that the vampires can't really get killed by normal things. Yeah, Caleb, like he takes an entire like shotgun point blank to the chest and he is just kind of put off by it mostly. Mm-hmm. Like he's definitely uncomfortable and in pain, but like that's when the Bill Paxton vampire kind of like goes full bull bill paxton <laughs> oh yeah no just just bill paxton is most bill paxton-ish like he's got sunglasses he's murdering for fun he's got um he he's breaking shit oh yeah no, i love him just he's on the fucking bar like kicking bottles aside while like the bartender is just stumbling backwards trying to reload his shotgun he's just having the fucking time of his life and does he have like a boot knife? Oh yes, he has. <laughs> he has like cowboy spurs on his boots, and they're so sharp that he does like a little fancy kick and like slices the guy's throat open. It's very fun. <laughs> yes, no, it's it's incredibly cheesy and silly to watch, but it is very fun. I just kind of really like how dirty and grimy and gritty these vampires are. Oh, yeah, no, like they're just even when they are not like filled with bullet holes and blood and like burnt up after like a big fight, like they are just kind of like they are living a down low, dirty life, essentially. Like they they steal cars and just find like old abandoned industrial sites to like camp out in for like the night for like the day. Like I remember there's one line where like I think it's the Jesse Lance Henderson vampire um, says, yeah, I've been here before once every like 50 years. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's more organic. There's there's no exposition ever. They they actually never use the word vampire through the entire movie. Yeah, no, like this is very deliberately like playing fast and loose with like the concept of what a vampire is. Like it is like definitely expecting the audience to kind of already be familiar with the concept and just sort of be on board with it. And actually, what are your feelings on this as a vampire movie or it's using vampire lore? Honestly, I do like the way they play very broadly with it. Like there is one specific moment in the film where like Jesse is like sleeping in a motel after like the big bar fight scene. And like one of his guns has a crucifix on the handle. And it's just a very like quick, subtle way to say, hey, don't worry too much about the vampire lore in this film. But like, I also what, know they were very specific and there's like no shots of mirrors. So you don't know if they do show up in mirrors or photos or not. We have no idea. Oh, yeah. No, like there's like a shot early on of Caleb looking in the rearview mirror. And like it's definitely evocative of the idea of like, hey, vampires can't be seen in mirrors. But like the movie is very much saying like, hey, these don't necessarily follow every little bit of vampire lore. Like 
it doesn't matter whether or not they can cross running water. It doesn't matter or not they can like eat garlic or not. Like what matters is they can live forever and they're very hard to kill and they need to kill to survive. Now, there's an element that comes later on that I don't know how I feel about. And that's oh, with the blood transfusions. To oh, yes. Cure it. After the family catches up with him, he, he's in like the, he's in the back of like the dad's veterinary truck. And like he sees all the equipment, he asks all the equipment he has. And he's like, hey, dad, have you ever done a blood transfusion? And it works. Yeah. Like he he just takes him into like the shed of their farm and he's just down there like, you know, like all shirtless and glistening and shit, you know, little something for the ladies. If and, that's your thing. Or, or the dudes. But I, like, yeah, like I did not get immediately that this was supposed to cure him. Like, I'm just like, oh, he needs blood. And they live on a farm with all sorts of livestock and stuff like a solution to his vampire vampirism, like presents itself here pretty obviously. The person who knows science in me doesn't like it. Again, like. The movie is playing very fast and loose with vampire lore, so it is just sort of expecting you to take on faith. Yeah, maybe you can, maybe vampirism is something you can cure with like just a simple blood transfusion from a non, like that does raise a lot of questions. Like, because blood transfusion's not radically new, it was a yeah. thing like back when Dracula was being written. <laughs> you know, like it, it, it like raises a lot of questions about like, so why does drinking people's blood not cure them? Like, who knows? Like, it raises a lot of questions. The movie doesn't necessarily... It, the movie's just kind of like, you're either going to be on board with this plot point or you're not. Just keep going with it. No plot, just vibes. Yeah, oh, like, <laughs> I do I do think it kind of undercuts a little bit of the mythos the movie builds towards vampires. There's, a, there's like, a scene towards the beginning of the movie where we're still in the romance movie portion and like they're looking up at the stars and May the vampire girl. Well, I know she says something about like the night sky. She's like, the light from that star is going to take a billion years to come here. And she says, when the light finally gets here, I'll still be around. Yeah. Like it's it's very cool and evocative of just the amount of time that living forever would entail. You're right. I think it undercuts it in a way that I feel like it's one of those movies maybe we shouldn't have had like our protagonist kind of walk off into the sunset. I, I got to say the part of it that makes sense to me on a structural level is just this is both like a horror film, like a vampire film, but it's also an old timey crime film <laughs> like our, you know, like a noble pure of heart protagonist who gets like caught in with a bad crowd and like the bar scene is like the escalation to like the heist gone wrong part because he lets one of the guys get away and the cops come after them. They have a whole big shootout. Which is fun because you get like, these bullet holes just shooting into this like little tiny cabin bungalow. Oh yeah, no, like the 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 shootout is amazing. Like the, the start of it, Bill Paxson just blasts a hole through a guy with a shotgun and is immediately like just his chest lights on fire from the light that is just suddenly blown through the door. Yeah, no, it, it's really fun. And then you have like our protagonist kind of runs out with like 
covering, so I think it's like a blanket or something over his head to the yeah, RV like he, and just backs it into the building to get everybody in. <laughs> yeah, no, he pro- he proves himself to the gang by like staging a daring escape by just like driving through so they can all get in without burning in the sunlight. And also the movie goes to like great pains to make sure he doesn't ever actually do anything too harmful, like too irredeemable, which is again, very much like the old timey crime thing where it's like this white bread milk toast protagonist who is a stand in for you. The viewer gets to experience the thrill of crime without doing anything too irredeemable. But in this sequence, he does shoot at a lot of cops. And I actually feel like that still fits with the Western of it. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like it's, yeah, he can't go around like sucking the blood out of normal people, but getting into gunfights with the popo is fine, you know. It's the fire. It's the it's the, it's the city marshals. It's like that one line in Reservoir Dogs where like they're all getting away, and it's like, "Did you kill anyone?" I think I shot a few cops. No, I meant real people. Yeah, no. It's also like the way that they are framed. The the, the cops in this movie, they're they're basically red shirts. They they don't do anything. Yeah. They don't really have a lot of lines. They're just there to be cannon fodder. Exactly. Within the context of like the crime thriller narrative, him being magically cured at the end is it's very old timey Hayes Code ending mm-hmm. where it's it's like after the protagonist has his like taste of danger and adrenaline and excitement, he gets to go back at the end. He gets to go back to his old life at the end and be a good fearing Christian boy like you, the audience should. And he also brings home. He rescues the girl. Yes. Which. She's been around. She's been a vampire for four years, murdering people. I don't think you go back from that. Yeah, no. Like, yeah, that is, I think, the one way in this in this differs from an old Hayes Code film, which is that sort of femme fatale archetype slash too good for this world ingenue. She is both the Madonna and whore in this movie, which I do like. But the way I thought it was going to go, which it didn't, which is um, kind of. I'm not sure how I feel about this either. Is like I thought for so the reason why he was able to be cured is because he never murdered anybody. It, it is very unclear if he kills a cop or not. It's not. It's not explicit. It's just kind of wild gunfire. So yeah, I, and like if he killed somebody, that's different. Like if he kills someone in a gunfight, that's different from draining someone's blood anyway. Exactly. So I figured like that's why he was able to get cured, but then it just works fine on her. Yeah, I was like expecting her to kind of catch fire at the end as a uh-huh yeah, or no, something, and it 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 very much seems like she is going to heroically sacrifice herself to save to save his sister, which is basically blonde girl cannon fodder. This is like the one thing that like it does feel like a bit of a subversion of the kind of Hayes Code thing where it's like. She kills someone on screen. She kills an innocent person on screen and drinks his blood. Yeah, he was kind of a fun character too. The truck. Oh yeah, no, like you know the 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 truck driver who is one of only uh, two people of color in this movie with like speaking roles, and they are both vampire victims. It's the eighties. It you know it is the eighties. He does a lot in his one scene to like establish like personality and character he is very fun and he does a lot with what is essentially a pretty thankless role like the end of the movie itself is kind of like a weird truck battle this is this is the part of the movie where it is it's most western the vampires steal steal his his kid sister and slash all the tires on their cars so he has to take the previously established Chekhov's horse 
and ride into town. And like a literal tumbleweed rolls past as he does so. One by one, the vampires kind of start to get dead because for some reason they don't flee when it's getting close to morning. They have to get their revenge. I feel like things get out of hand for them pretty quickly. Like Bill Paxton, he's just in it for the chaos. And, and that's why we gets, stand. Yes. And if he gets exploded by a tanker truck, you know, like that's that's just what it is. Uh, like the rest of it, I feel like they're kind of like, oh, OK, we didn't kill him. Well, let's just tr- like try and get out of here with the sister. And then the girl jump, like grabbing her and jumping out of the back of their car, like screws things up. It's a, she's definitely played morally ambiguous. No, this is what I was saying with this is sort of the subversion of like the old Hayes Code ending. She is very morally ambiguous, but at the same time, she is still allowed to live and allowed a second chance. Whereas in those old crime pictures, like she would die tragically and the hero would have a sad about it. Yes. It is sort of feminist in a way. Yeah, I know this sounds weird, but like, what would you want your ending to be for this movie? Like, would you want the ending that happened or would you rewrite it a little bit for your sensibilities? I think, honestly, most of it could go the same, but like a solution very obviously presents itself in that he has a father who's a veterinarian. They have livestock on their farm. Getting blood would not be hard. This is technically something they could live with. And I kind of like would have liked the idea of them just kind of like, well, yes, we're vampires now. Let's go to the farm. Like, I think a more modern version of this film would definitely do that because a lot of horror films these days are like, this type of horror is a metaphor for something. Like, yeah. the Babadook is a metaphor for grief and she learns to live with it at the end. So, like, a more modern version of this would be like, being a vampire is just something that they live with. I do like that there's not really a lot of morals or like moralizing the vampires is using the metaphor. So, I, mean, I know I've said this a few times. I like that it's just vibes. They're like, we got a 35 yeah. millimeter camera. Let's get some vibes. Use our air reflex. No, absolutely. This this is a movie that operates a lot more on an emotional level than like a logical one. And that's kind of why I'm just I'm just kind of willing to go along with the blood transfusion plot line. <laughs> OK, yeah, sure. This works for the story that you're telling. For me, it just <sighs> kind of needles me a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. Again, this is what I'm saying. You're either with the plot point or you don't. The movie isn't waiting for you to catch up. And I'm okay with that. It does what it wants. It kind of has... It's just very interesting, like, with how the vampires are. Because seeing how they operate, I don't understand how they ain't dead. (laughs) For how long they've been doing this, like, there's a line where Bill Paxton says to Lance Hendrickson, it's like, hey, remember that fire we started back in Chicago? (laughs) Just a big wink to the audience. They have just been... Cutting a swath of chaos across the country for decades now. And somehow not having to deal with the consequences until they find a random, like, townie or cowboy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) No, the way I see it, a big lot of what this film is about thematically is the fundamental emptiness of Midwest America and, like, America as a concept. Mm -hmm. Like folksy heartland imagery contrasted alongside like a bit like you know like just all these abandoned places the vampires are hiding in and like caleb he slips essentially what happens here is he slips out of his normal world 
into this other world that exists within the empty spaces of America. And like when he tries to get away and get back to his normal thing, like at the bus stop, he is he is treated as worthless, essentially like like a junkie. He, they, yeah, like everyone just assumes he's like an addict or a homeless yeah. person. And within the mindset of Americana, like he's not a real person to them. He doesn't matter. The way the vampires operate is like they are by existing within this empty space that has been abandoned by America, they are freed from morality and can essentially just do what they want with impunity. The fact that they are able to do this without like really facing too many consequences is like almost preternatural in a sense. It's the falling through the cracks. Exactly. They are able to get away with this because people don't care about like all these random drifters who get murdered and go missing. Such a small town either. It's not going to catch like anything bigger than that. Yeah. The one sad thing about this, I don't feel like there's a lot to talk about with this movie because it's a lot of it is just that was cool. Yeah, no, like this, <laughs> this was a very fun movie. Like I just, this is a movie I could definitely just put on, just get some popcorn and just enjoy the aesthetic and the stylism of it. I can just feel it if it's one of those movies you have playing in the bar and you just play the soundtrack and like, don't worry about like the dialogue at all in the background. Yeah, You just kind of look over and go, oh, cool sunset. Ooh, I actually just went through all of my notes. Uh, is there anything else you kind of want to talk about with the film? Um, no, I think I think I covered. Oh, I, I know one. The younger vampire. Oh, yes. I feel like it's one of those things that had such a backstory and they really didn't touch on Homer that much. Yeah, which is he does weirdly feel like he is as much the big bad of this as Lance Hendrickson at the very least because he is the driving force of like the last third of the movie out of nowhere yeah like he wants Caleb's sister as revenge because he turned May and then May turned Caleb and he's angry about this because she's cheating on him I guess and it's one of those ones he's implied to be the oldest out of everyone I don't know. The Psycho Kid vampire thing, I think it has been done better. No, it's extremely a trope. Mm-hmm. Like, Because uh, my brain always goes to interview with a vampire and get a, a little bit to uh, let the right one in. Oh, of course. Again, with a lot of this movie, it is just creating a broad shape for you to fill in your own details with. So Homer does not necessarily get a lot of explanation. It's just like he's... A kid vampire. He's been alive possibly as long as Jesse. We don't know for certain, maybe longer. But yeah, no, I, that's one thing I really do like about the film. It doesn't feel the need to explain anything. It definitely is a mood piece. And uh, I think it was a great first vampire film. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's talk on this podcast for no, just a lot of great iconic moments just fake blood everywhere one of my favorite things is the blood that they use in the transfusion scene which just looks so fake like it's red like paint (laughs) this is dario argento suspiria blood and honestly i'm here for that level of cheese it's an 80s movie that doesn't like it knows it's supposed to look like an 80s movie but still feels like a 70s film to me yeah yeah it's definitely paced a lot slower and more deliberately like and then at the same time we have we just have whole sections that are covered in montage like them fleeing cities or like going around like finding victims mm-hmm. yeah i like the one where bill paxton picks up like a couple of chicks oh yeah 
Because he has a full-on different persona, and it was just oh, very yeah, no. entertaining he's, for me. He is just dressed like like an old-timey, the fakest idea of what a cowboy could ever look like. Oh, my brain interpreted it as more. It's like he's like he looked like a Mormon that was going door to door, but like in like the eighteen fifties. Oh, I, I I was thinking like he looks like if Woody went to a gay bar. No, I liked I liked the one that is just like so like Bill uh, Lance Hendrickson and Diamondback, who's like his love interest vampire, are oh, yeah. like just cruising around and like they pick up a hitchhiker and it's like, oh, I'm actually trying to rob you, like and like they get like pointed out shotguns and like we don't even. See see the conclusion we just it is know just, that he's dead <laughs> yeah, it is just such it is just such a foregone conclusion that these two idiots absolutely get murdered like it is just wonderfully economical storytelling what would you rate the film i'm going to be honest with you i'm gonna rate this an eight out of ten All right. i had a lot of fun with this this is this is roadhouse with vampires <laughs> and that is all it needs to be now i love me some roadhouse as you know i watch yes. it every christmas <laughs> but uh, I think I'm going to go a little bit lower than you, which is... Of course. Weird, because I feel like we're always flipping. I feel like I used to, I, I was going a little higher than you, but I think I'm going to do like a six out of ten. Oh, yeah. No, we get, we got to go for that Cisco and Ebert. Yeah. Like, that being said, that. It's, it's a fun watch. Of course, yeah. It, it just has some things where going against my normal thing where I like slower paced films before the 2000s, I think it's just a little too slow for me to keep my attention, even though oh, I yeah. really liked it whenever I would tune back in. I think that's a vibe of films they don't really have as much, even though I kind of really like them. I like background films. So I think oh, yeah, of course. And it's fun, good soundtrack. Yeah, six out of ten for me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, I did just want to bring up, because you mentioned like films before the 2000s, in 2006, they did want to do a remake of this movie. Ew. Yeah. And like <laughs> it got canceled because Twilight happened. Like they're like, oh, th this this vampire romance film is going to look way too similar. We can't do this now. Oh, thank you, Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> One the same of these time, days, I will watch you. This is not that day. <laughs> is Twilight horror enough for you to put it on here? I don't know. I think it's pretty horrifying. <laughs> uh, no, the, the the real horror of uh, Twilight is Kirsten Stewart trying to act straight. <laughs> she's just doing the best she's given with, okay? Exactly. Like, she is <laughs> just trying to get through it. Uh, it's one of those things, like, Kristen Stewart, like, she keeps on getting better with her acting roles. Like, it's one mm. of those things where I just, like, kind of am very intrigued what she's going to do next. No, absolutely. Just... The more unhinged and gay she gets, the more I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, I really hope one of these days you roll underwater because that's on the list. <laughs> oh, good. I <laughs> uh, can't wait for that. That brings us into our, our kind of our next little segment. I think it's time yeah. to roll for the next movie. Yeah. And I finally have it out ready beforehand. Yay. It only took so here um, four recordings. Yeah. So here we go. Like, let's roll these bones. Roll it, roll it, roll it. Got a 16. Okay. Midsommar. Ooh. Yeah. I guess we're, we're popping that cherry next. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something modern-ish. <laughs> we, and you were eventually going to hit an A24 film. Oh, it's inevitable. It was inevitable. I actually, like, I'm excited for this one. Oh, yeah, for sure. I somehow have not seen it yet, so this Ooh. will be fun for me to go through. It's a long one. Right, uh, it's our... The best I can say is you've seen Wicker Man, right? Yep. 
again, this is the closest thing we've gotten to something towards those vibes. And uh, yeah, so I, I feel like with this one, I should just play us off with some like Tangerine Dream and call it a day. Hell yeah. This is Critiquing the Vampire Dream. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye-bye.